Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Friday breaking news out of Austin, Texas today. The Longhorns have officially named Quinn Ewers as their starting quarterback for the 2022 season. The young quarterback spent his first year of eligibility at Ohio State to take advantage of NIL, but returned to his home state to compete for the job at Texas, which is now his. A guy that used to start for Texas will now be the starting quarterback for Nebraska. Casey Thompson led the Big 12 with 24 touchdown passes last season, throwing for 2,113 yards and completing 63.2% of his attempts. Florida redshirt freshman Jack Miller is out after suffering an injury to the thumb on his right hand. The backup quarterback required a procedure on Wednesday. With that, he will not be available for the start of the Florida's season. And the quarterback who left Gainesville for Arizona State, Emory Jones, will be starting for the Sun Devils for the 2022 season. In his time with the Gators, he threw for 3,347 yards, 26 touchdowns with 14 interceptions. And finally, Ohio University will be renaming its football field. The university's board of, board of trustees approved the request to change it to Frank Solich Field after the former head coach and winningest football coach in Mid-American Conference history. Welcome in to College Football Live, friends, on this fine Friday. Christine Williamson, Sam Acho, Rod Gilmore here. How are we feeling, fellas? We feeling good on Friday? Pretty solid? Feeling pretty solid? Great. Okay, we look good. Okay, so let's start with that Quinn Ewers story. And who exactly is Texas's starting quarterback? Well, he's entering his first season with Texas after transferring from Ohio State. He's a native Texan. He was a third overall recruit on the 2021 ESPN 300 as the top quarterback. And he was selected to play in the 2022 All-American Bowl after an outstanding high school career. So, Rod, I'm going to start with you. Uh, obviously, Texas needed a quarterback. Did they make the right decision at starting quarterback? Well, it didn't take long. I mean, 10 days in camp, and he's named the starter, and it certainly isn't a surprise. I mean, we've known that he's incredibly talented. You know, he was a top recruit coming out of high school. Uh, lots of uh, talk about him and his natural talent and ability. And listen, this staff knows what they have in Hudson Card. They've been around him. He won the job last year. They know what his ceiling is. The ceiling for Ewers is a lot higher. 
So I think they're a lot more comfortable thinking that the potential to be a superstar quarterback is with this young man. Uh, Rod, you mentioned potential. Sam, how much pressure is there on him to perform to perform for the quarterback or for the Longhorns? Uh, there there's a good amount of pressure on Quinn Ewers ever since he won the starting job, which was a few minutes ago. That <laughs> pressure has really mounted up. Obviously, we know Louisiana Monroe is in week one. It's just two weeks from tomorrow. But that's not where the pressure lies. The pressure lies if you perform great there. It's week two when Alabama visits town. We know that Texas is still going to the SEC in a few years. You have that Alabama game versus the number one team, which is a huge test, followed up by UTSA and Texas Tech. If Quinn Ewers is doing what we all expect Quinn Ewers to do, which is to be uh, excellent at quarterback with Xavier Worthy, B. John Robinson, and a developing offensive line, those games versus Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Baylor, three ranked teams, are going to matter. And so expectations are sky high, and we all hope that Quinn Ewers achieves them. Uh, his hair is something that I feel like we'll be talking about a lot this season also. Okay, so Hudson Card <laughs> was the starting quarterback before Casey Thompson took the job last season. Obviously, we know Arch Manning is going to be there in 2023. Rod, what do you think the expectation is for Card now as he obviously isn't the starter in Texas? You know, it's hard to tell a young man what to do, but if I were in his shoes, I would be on my way out the door. I mean, you know, he had the job last year, lost it. Ewers comes in, wins the job this year. Arch Manning is coming next year. It's hard to see a path to following his dream and being a starting quarterback at Texas. So there's no shame in moving on. Follow the, the path of, of his uh, uh, teammate, Caleb Thompson. Go somewhere else. Get a chance to be a starter. Sam, I think that's the right approach, but it's hard to tell him, but that's what I would do. Rod, I never would have thought I would hear words like that coming out of your mouth. Take the path of least resistance. No. Stay, wait, and compete. Yes, just, just because you didn't get the starting job now doesn't mean you may not be starting in a few weeks. There are question marks that still surround Quinn Ewers. Remember last year with Casey Thompson and Hudson Card. Hudson Card won the starting spot. He won the first game, and then he lost the starting spot because he didn't play well. And then there was a back and forth and back and forth throughout the season. Your hopes of being a starting quarterback, specifically at Texas or anywhere else, are not over. The job is still relatively open. It's Quinn Ewers' job to lose, but that Alabama game or other games on that schedule may cost Quinn Ewers to lose that job. So, no, Hudson Carr, don't go anywhere. You're playing under a quarterback guru and Steve Sarkeesian. And even if you stay in wait, unlike your other quarterback, which Casey Thompson, even if you stay and you wait, you may have an opportunity, maybe not, not early in the season, but down the line and – and we can see. So don't leave. Don't listen to Rod right now. Please stay. Please stay. I'm listening to Rod because what the heck is the kid going to do? They already know what their future is with Arch Manning. They have Quinn Ewers there now. Sam, I don't typically disagree with you, but I disagree with you on this point. Okay. So hopefully his future is brighter elsewhere. So on the subject of moving, UCLA is trying to do just that with their hopes to join the Big Ten. But the UC Board of Regents met on Wednesday and various board members, including California Governor Gavin Newsom, have spoken out against the school leaving the Pac-12. One of the proposals involves new rules that would block schools from making major decisions involving athletics contracts. Rod, I'm going to ask you this because you're out west, you have a background in law. Why exactly is it so easy for USC to move and not UCLA out of the Pac-12? Christine, well, there are two reasons. The first one is that USC is a private university. There is no other authority that they have to answer to. UCLA, on the other hand, 
They're a public institution. They're part of the University of California 10 campus system, which is run by the UC Regents. That board sets the budget and rules and a lot of other things. So you need their authority. Now, the second thing is that UCLA has, if you will, made a couple mistakes here, one legal and one political. The legal issue of having authority to cut a deal with the Big Ten all by yourself is the first issue. Now, UCLA says they have the authority to do it. UC Regents say, no, you don't. You need our approval to do that. And without that, you can't go. Now, the second issue is political. One thing you don't do, if you follow California politics for the last 20 years or so, you know that Governor Newsom is not a guy to cross, and he is not a guy to publicly embarrass, letting him find out about the deal in the newspaper. He will go ahead and do something about that. He'll get his pound of flesh. Okay, so knowing what all that you just said, how do you feel like this would play out? Well, I think there's still about a 75% chance or so that UCLA goes to the Big Ten. That's assuming everybody acts normally. What normally should happen would be there'd be a negotiated settlement over this issue of authority to move, with UCLA sort of coming around and writing some sort of a check to be able to move on. Now, the problem with that is there's so much pressure on UCLA and they've made mistakes already. They might make another mistake by trying to force the issue, going to court, getting a court to say they have the authority to move. If a court does that and rules for the regents, then UCLA has no legs at all. They have no leverage, and there's no reason that the regents would allow them to move. That's why I put it at 25% that they won't go. If everybody does what they're supposed to do, it'll be a negotiated settlement, and they move on. Please, UCLA, act reasonably here. We'll see. That 25% chance will seriously shake up everything. I mean, everybody's talking about them moving to the Big Ten. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Speaking of the Big Ten, what are the chances that athletes get a cut of that new deal? Here's a preview of what Kevin Warren had to say on the upcoming episode of Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel. I sit here today as the architect of deals that will enrich the Big Ten in ways that no one imagined. Mm -hmm. Everybody's getting rich now mm -hmm. off college sports, okay? The networks will get rich from mm -hmm. it. The administrators will get rich. The schools will get rich. The coaches will get rich. You know mm -hmm. who won't be getting rich? The athletes. When are you going to start paying them? One of the things I'm excited about is being able to have honest dialogue with our student athletes. Have there been little changes that have been made? Yes. But we need to really sit down and start getting these issues on the table and start making some decisions. Could you foresee paying your athletes? Yes. Yeah. So could you foresee mm -hmm. the day when, when Michigan, Michigan State, Indiana, Wisconsin are paying their football players, paying their basketball players because they are in revenue-producing sports? Those are the things that, that we have to resolve. We have to. And I want to be part of this conversation and will be part of this conversation of what we can do to make this better. You can catch the full episode Tuesday at 11 p.m. on HBO. Sam, I'm going to ask you this because you played football in college and in the NFL. You were part of the NFLPA. What are your thoughts on the potential of these student athletes being paid? 
I love it. And I'm more excited about the potential because of the man leading the charge. Kevin Warren has spent extensive time in the NFL. He has over 20 years of experience in the NFL. He was the COO, Chief Operating Officer for the Minnesota Vikings. He's worked with Roger Goodell. So I, he understands what it's like to share revenue. I spent time in the NFL Player Association negotiating collective bargaining agreements. It's a very realistic opportunity for players to be getting paid. There's a $7 billion deal, and I think players should definitely get a share of it. Sam, um, you know this man. You follow his career. Look, Commissioner Warren has talked about disrupting and changing the landscape. This is his best opportunity. You know, don't do the same old, same old and take this new money and throw it at the same old places with the coaching salaries, lavish facilities and the like. Instead, share the money with the players. Do something like allocating money to make a Title IX more compliant. Do those things with it. Listen, revenue sharing is coming anyway. We all know it's happening. There's already a case pending. But the Big Ten could get out in front, be the leading conference on this, get a competitive edge over everyone else, share the revenue. They can do that. And just imagine how popular they would be with elite recruits everywhere. They'd be the leading conference out there with, uh, with sharing revenue. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's funny, like, we talk about competitive balance or competitive equity. We've heard Nick Saban say things about the NIL, how the NIL is providing this huge imbalance. Well, what better way to provide balance than to do a revenue-sharing model with players? It's interesting. I hear a lot of, of people talk in the media and even uh, off the media about there should be a cap in NIL, cap how much the players are making. And it's interesting to hear that side along with this deal of $7 billion, no cap, no nothing, and also their escalators in that deal more teams, more money. And so I think that this is a great way to provide equity in college sports, in college football, in all of college sports, a revenue sharing model that's really not that difficult to, to, to figure out. You can look at other leagues and other teams that have done it, and you can implement it now. And so I think Kevin Warren's a man to do, and I hope that he sticks to his word. Sam, this is new money. They're never going to have an opportunity like this again. And remember, the, 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 uh, the conference can bypass the schools. They don't have to put the schools in a bind of having them give the money to the players and bring up the issue of employees. The conference can handle this itself and make this happen. So I hope that Commissioner Warren continues to disrupt and change the landscape by, by going ahead and sharing the revenue with the players. You mentioned new money, and it's a lot of money. It's $1 billion annually. As you saw that graphic a little bit ago, that's more than all the other power conferences combined. So they have plenty of money to spare. Okay, so Georgia begins their title defense facing their former defensive coordinator. No one is giving Oregon much of a chance, but do the Ducks have a secret weapon? Nobody is factoring. And could the third year be a charm for Mike Norvell? in Tallahassee. How soon might we see the Seminoles return to glory? We hear from the head coach himself.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to College Football Live. Some big matchups to start the college football season, including some early season non-conference tests for the Pac-12, including 11th-ranked Oregon taking on third-ranked Georgia at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Rod, how big is week one for the Pac-12? Yeah, yeah, Christine, I don't think it's hyperbole to call this the biggest opening week in the history of the Pac-12 conference. I mean, you're trying to keep your relevance as a Power Five conference. You're trying to hold the conference together amidst all this speculation of the conference possibly breaking up. And your best team, I think the best team and most complete team in the conference is Utah. And Utah's going to Florida. And Utah's had a history of starting slowly, you know, not finding their stride until week three or week four. They can't afford that. They're the top dog in the conference. And they're not playing the best team in the SEC, but they're going to a tough place to play. Utah has got to play well for the conference, and they've got to come out with the win. Oregon and Utah both need to win, or else the Pac-12 loses relevance in the discussion right off the bat. You mentioned Oregon needing to win. They play the defending champs, Georgia. Sam, uh, do people underestimate this matchup? I think they do, and they, there's a huge spread. Everyone thinks that Georgia's going to win. The defending national champions, what a defense, all this and all that. People forget that the defending national championship champion defensive coordinator is now the head coach of Oregon. So he knows the ins and outs of that defense. He also knows the ins and outs of that offense. So it's not like uh, you're playing a team that doesn't know your strengths and your weaknesses, number one. And also with Oregon, Oregon's a talented football team. Uh, they're one of the few teams that have been to the national championship in the last decade or so. And so for me, you have talent at Oregon. You have a head coach who knows all the strengths and all the weaknesses of the team that they're facing. And then last but not least, Georgia lost a lot to the draft. There was a historic draft we all remember. All those superstars are gone. The ones that still remain, Dan Lanning knows them really, really well. Sam, 17, 18 point. That is a huge spread against a really talented team. A team I think might not be the best in the conference, but the most talented in the conference. I don't worry about their defense. I think their defense is going to be fine. They'll play well against Georgia. Noel Sewell is one of the best linebackers in the country. Brandon Dorless, people don't talk about him. He's the best defensive lineman in the Pac-12. It's the quarterback issue that worries people. You know, Bo Nix is likely the starter there. He's the guy that came over from Auburn. Hasn't played well against Georgia in the past. So that's an issue. You know, you don't want him to feel like he's got to play hero ball, be the hero and prove himself against Georgia. Everybody knows he struggled on the road a little bit more in his career than playing at home. What Bo Nix needs to do 
is to be the guy that makes good decisions, uses his feet, takes care of the football, and isn't afraid to let his defense with Oregon really control this game, Christine. I, I think that's the key for Bo Nix, just taking care of the ball. Auburn was 6-4 with Bo Nix starting last year, averaging 31.6 points per game. They were 0-3 without him starting, averaging 17.3 points per game. I don't know. It's going to be a really good one. Uh, all right. I like saying this because it's been a while since we've seen a dominant football come out of Tallahassee. Why a resurgence might come sooner rather than later for Mike Norvell's squad. Challenge kickoff game has Howard squaring off against Alabama State next Saturday. Our celebration of the HBCUs begins at 7 Eastern on ESPN and the app. Let's get some ACC combo in here. FSU football is entering their third season under head coach Mike Norvell. As they get ready for week one next Saturday, and just like my Miami Hurricanes, some people think this could be FSU's year, including their head coach. He had this to say. I definitely think we're getting close, and uh, it's the journey that makes it worth it. You know, any anybody can go in, and um, you know, when you have uh, you know an experience here, experience there, uh, you know, we're excited about where we are. But uh, you know, I really believe uh, great days are ahead in, in the very near future, and uh, you know, this team has an opportunity to go make their statement uh, by how we play. We just love asking the question: Are they back this season, Rod? I'm going to start with you here. <laughs> When will we consider FSU back? Christine, Florida State fans know they've been watching the quarterbacks get pounded the last five or six years. So when the offensive line is able to keep the quarterback standing upright, that'll be a pretty good sign. You know, out of 131 teams, Florida State has consistently ranked 100 or lower in protecting the quarterback. 36 sacks, 48 sacks just over and over, and the quarterback it hits a lot, gets hit a lot. Sam, Florida State will be back when we see them protect the quarterback and not have to uh, put him on a stretcher all the time. Well, that's a piece of it, Rod. I think the other piece is the penalty conversation, right? That 2017 season, the mm -hmm. last winning season. Well, 2018 and 19, Florida State was the most penalized team in all the FBS. In 2020, when Mike Norvell got there, they were in the bottom 10 as like the worst 10 in penalties. Now, last year, towards the end of the season, they improved, right? First half of the season, that four-game losing streak, ton of penalties, then they improved. So consistent, clean ball and winning the games you're supposed to win, like beating Jacksonville State, that's when I'll say that Florida State is back. What about beating University of Miami? Is that going to happen? <laughs> Ooh. Uh, I, don't Ooh. Think, I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to go Miami that far back? yet. That's no, the next I'm not question. going there I'm just yet. <laughs> okay, well, Florida State, Miami's maybe back I will before consider... Florida State's back. Exactly. We'll consider yes, Florida State yes, back if yes. they finish over 500 because they finished under 500 the last four seasons. If they don't, though, they'll, they'll um, break a record because the last time that they did that was from 1973 to 1976. So. I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll just go on that streak and continue it. Anyways, College Football Live will be back on Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you then.